Good morning. Get this adjusted right here. <clears throat> well, how can we overlook the fact that today is the start of a of a new year? It's like Happy New Year. I mean, it's like we don't get this very often on Sunday first thing. We get it. We can get it right today. So today is um, you know it's the day that that new diets start, new habits begin. Resolutions are made and new ways, etc. But tomorrow is the second. <laughs> it's the day that diets are broken, old habits resurface, resolutions are broken, and the old has re returned. It's only 364 more days until the next new year, so look up. I, one of my aunts was always, uh, I came from a very positive family anyway, and one of my aunts who was uh, just always the optimist. She always said, you know, she goes, I don't want to know what the future is because it's, if it's bad, I don't want to know about it. And if it's good, I want to be surprised. So I thought that's just a, a great outlook on life. She lived to be 95, so she had lots of, lots of good years in there. One of my favorite verses, a pair of verses, is from Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. I, I love that for the fact that I can, I can go to bed just thinking, what an idiot you are. But at least I know that tomorrow I can wake up and the mercies of the Lord are new today. Sometimes I've ruined that by 7.05, but at least I know I've only got a few more hours before I can start again. It's for this very reason, I have said this many times probably, that I don't make resolutions other than I resolve to drink coffee every day, and I'm typically pretty successful at that at the end of the year. <laughs> and uh, However, I do like to set goals for each year, and although I don't always succeed in every area, I'm able to accomplish much more at the end of a year. All that to say, Happy New Year. Here we are. One of the things I, I like to do is pick words and themes, and I'll do that throughout weeks or days, and sometimes it's even hours that my, my, my key word for this hour because I need it is a, is a certain word. And I'll, and I'll do that often for, um, say, I'm going to shoot that for my month word or something like that. It's, it's nothing that I sit there and get dis discouraged if I break it because I often do. But, um, but I do like to pick little themes like that for me to focus on. And I'm, it's kind of where I'm going with my sermon for today is just to say this isn't necessarily the theme for the year, but I think it is a great way to start out. I, I often say that I preach my, my sermons from my journal, meaning that, that I, I pray, Lord, would you take me through the things that I need to preach through? And, um, and I'm, I'm a pretty simple preacher. I'm a pretty simple guy. And, and I understand that I know that, but I like to be really practical with myself, and I like to leave some things really practical for each of us to go by. This past week, I was reading a short book on lessons from the parables of Jesus. So if nothing else, a theme from at least one of the parables is forgiveness. It could probably be brought out in a lot of ways, but from this one, it, it's especially about that. And that led me today, the here and now, and uh, it might be the start of a, of a short series of, of the parables of Jesus, things we can learn. It might be a short series, even a really short series. It's just today. I don't know. We'll, we'll see where, where God takes me on this. 
Personally, I find it pretty cynical. I mean, pretty easy for me to become cynical with, uh, with, with customers, with, with renters, with society, with government, and really anything that has to do with people. Probably a lot of you are in that same way. It's ironic that I work in a people business and that I feel like that sometimes. I deal with people, you know, not only in a people business, but in a people ministry where I've got to deal with people all the time. And I've got to be, supposedly, be this loving, forgiving, always supportive guy. But inside, I, I, I am very cynical. Okay, so those of you who don't know me, <laughs> I, I used to say for a real, very short time, thank you, Jesus, I worked as a tech help guy <clears throat> um, at DirecTV. Um, it was right when we went to camp and I needed a little bit of extra income. So I took this job and I said, you know, I've never considered myself a multitasker. Um, to that, to the degree of, of that definition. However, I found that I was actually pretty good at it because I could give people serious answers and be thinking really cynical things about them. It's like you stupid idiot. It's like, but uh, but I, but with that, I, I find that um, it's pretty easy to get cynical as you look around. And uh, and the older I get, the easier that is for me to get that way. It's why I need. And I rely on the Word of God. I'm, I'm fortunate that I established the habit of, of a daily devotional life many, many years ago. I mean, I was a teenager. wasn't even saved when I started reading. You know, I said, I'm going to do this. And I'm just going to say that that has been the, the answer to the success of my life. If I've been successful in any way, it's only because I've been faithful in reading the Word of God. Not that I've always been faithful in obeying it, but at least I'm constantly hearing the instruction from the Lord. And I just encourage you, if you don't have that habit, started it's a great resolution to say this year i'm going to read my bible every day and just do it and, and because that's where you're going to find success as a christian in matthew chapter 18 we have a situation arises as jesus and his disciples are hanging out together one time if um and they're always hanging out together but if you turn to chapter 18 it brings up kind of a series of of uh questions and answers and some little sh- stories that jesus ch- shares um, some are just stories, some are parables, and um, realistically, the parable is just a story that teaches a lesson. But it, <clears throat> but it starts out this way in verse 18, I mean, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, to put a few more words onto that and to bring it into context, if you, you could, this part of the situation comes up in, in both Mark and Luke. <clears throat> And, and the disciples, it, t- it says even farther, it says the disciples didn't just come to Jesus and ask him this. They were arguing about who was the greatest. What, what an argument. They got Jesus over here, and then they're arguing about who's the greatest. I've always thought I could just, I could just hear some of these guys going on, and Peter shouts out, you know, I walked on water. And, <laughs> and the other disciples say, well, you've got to be kidding. You sunk. Yeah, but before I sunk, I was walking on water. And then, and then John speaks up and says, yeah, but he always calls me the disciples he loves. And, and, and then other ones said, yeah, well, I'm the guy who brought him the, the fish and the loaves, you know. And it, remember when he fed all those people? And I was the first one that handed it out. And they're just going on with this. And it, and it went like that until finally they decide, let's go talk to Jesus and ask him. And so instead of giving an answer, Jesus gives an illustration which he did so often. And I, I, I just think so often times when, when people ask, what would Jesus do? It's like a lot of times Jesus didn't say a whole lot. He just did, he did what was right. So that's, that, I mean, that is the right thing. However, we also don't always know what Jesus would do other than it was just good things. 
So anyway, in verse 2, it says he called the little child and had him stand among them. And then he said, and you can just picture this. Come over here. Just stand there. And puts his arm around him. And then he says, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become. And I like that right there. He says, unless you change, meaning I know you guys. I know what's in your hearts. You're sitting there arguing about who's the greatest. But unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So who's the greatest? It's the one who's like this little child who's humble. But the big thing, I think, with, with, it, with why they bring a child, why Jesus brought a child out, is because children just for the most part, until they become cynical, which often life can do that for them, is that they're just trusting. They, they believe what they're told. How many of you, I mean, I know you've raised kids and I've, I've, uh, you, you do, that were parents that are parents. You've raised kids and you've answered. You've had those times where you answered the billion questions that your kids ask. It's like I, I can remember traveling. Ryan was just one who just constantly was asking questions. And it's just like sometimes I just wanted to break from his questions. I don't know. So you start giving him cynical answers. But I didn't really do that. I was a good parent, okay? But, uh, but just all those questions just keep coming. And I wanted to encourage those questions. Hey, it's great. And uh, yes, there are some stupid, stupid questions, regardless of what your teacher told you, that there are no stupid questions. There are a lot of stupid questions, but there's still some really good answers that need to go out. And so, he, so Jesus sum, sums it all up, <clears throat> and he's telling you guys, if you just be like this child who just trusts and is humble, that's who's the greatest in the kingdom. That's how you will find the kingdom of God. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. And But anyone who causes one of these little ones to, who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Can you imagine the disciples can just see their faces? You know, we were just asking a simple little question. You know, we just want you to say, you are, you are, you are, whatever. And instead Jesus brings it all away from them and takes it to this is what humility is this is uh, this is what the greatest is it's humility and this is what i am it, it then goes on and, and jesus goes on and, and gives them a lot of lessons about um about what what is who is great and what to what to how to be honored if your hand or your foot causes you to sin cut it off throw it away it's better for you to enter like enter life <clears throat> maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and become and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. And the disciples are still going, it's like, come on, we were just asking a simple little question. We don't need to hear about all this stuff. I like my feet. I like my hands. I like my eyes. I don't want to cut any of them off. So Jesus is just going, then change. It's better to change and be like this child than it is to go through um, life struggling. He then gives a, what's called a parable um, of the lost sheep, and he tells and tells them. He gives a great example of himself, as he says, "Look at, the, at what he, and he tells this story about a shepherd who who has a hundred sheep, and one of them got lost, and he went looking for them." He tells he tells a story about both us and about himself. He's just going, "Look, don't be despondent." If you go, if you get wayward and you go and you walk away from the Lord, 
I I am that good father, that just like that shepherd, that good shepherd. I'm going to come seeking for you. I'm going to pursue you, not just look for you, not take a quick glance across the field. He leaves the others and goes for um, after him. And so Jesus is just kind of bringing out. Here's just a bunch of here's some things you guys need to understand about about who I am and who you are. You're not lost. So let's just change. Let's become people who are humble. He then talks about how, how, to, how to deal with when you've got someone who sins against you. And we use this, this passage often of how do we deal with people when there's, when there's wrong going on in a church. This is how we deal with them. And, and Jesus gives some great instruction with all that. But, but after all of that, Peter then comes to Jesus and he says this in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. So understand this is that as Jesus has gone through all this, this story of how do I, who's the greatest? Well, it's the humble person. Here's how to deal with people. And here's, here's some things you've got to have forgiveness in there. And so Peter, as he often does, he pipes up. Okay, Lord, so you're, you're teaching me to be forgiving and to be, for, and to be loving. You're teaching me that you're going to always pursue me. How many times do I have to forgive somebody? And then he throws out the number, seven. And Jesus answers, no, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or, but 70 times seven times, 490 I, I can remember as siblings, as a, as a kid with my siblings, we'd sit there and we'd argue about that. And we would kind of have this imaginary thing on the wall. And we'd go over there sometimes like that. It's like, I've already forgiven you 490 times. I'm not doing it again because Jesus said 490. So you're done. And then we would go let my mother know how, um, how forgiving and loving we were because we had forgiven 490 times and it wasn't going to happen 491 times. Lee, you probably never did that, right? And I know your mother's right here, so we can ask. So, But yeah, I mean, that's just how it was. And it's like, this was just a figure of speech. Jesus is doing a whole bunch. That, that whole thing came from, to understand that, is the robotic law, robinic laws were three times that you forgave somebody and then the fourth time it's like, they're done. And so Peter comes and he goes, well, I'm talking to Jesus. Well, I thought I'd better be pretty generous here, so I'm going to double it, and then maybe I'll just add one more just because seven is the perfect number, so I'm going to say seven times. And Jesus shoots him down and goes, no, not seven times, but seven times, 70 times. That's how many times you've got to be forgiving. And, it, and it's all just to say you just got to keep on forgiving. So we've got this. We've got this uh, then Jesus goes on and he tells a story. A lot of times, it's a, if, as it is in my Bible, it's, a, it's got a heading that says the parable of the unmerciful servant. I always like it more of the, it's the parable of the merciful ruler. Because after Jesus has told Peter up to seven times, uh, 70 times, he says this in verse, in verse 23 on. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. 
The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Just to get a little picture of this, and I always got to re- remind some people as I hear sermons on this with speculation in there of, of how this guy got all the money and where, why he got so far. It doesn't matter. It's like, yeah, he might, maybe he embezzled it. Maybe he was, and the king is doing accounts. And he's going, I'm getting embezzled from here. But this one guy owes me a lot of money. Now, my Bible says that he owed him 10,000 talents. Now, to just put that, and I, I love the way that some versions now say millions of dollars, many bags of gold. And, and it was. A, a, a talent essentially was, um, just to get a picture of this, one talent was approximately 15 years of wages. So, so this guy has 10,000 talents, which was equivalent to 150,000 years of labor. Unpayable. He had, he had taken however he got it from the king, stole it, whatever he did. Maybe he was the, the treasurer, so he was able to embezzle all this money. Who knows? But he had a tremendous debt, and the king's going through the books, and he's realizing, wow, I've got a whole lot of money coming to me, and all these different people that owe it to me. So let me... Let me just talk to each one of them, and let's figure this out. Well, this one servant owes him millions of dollars. And, he, and he's going, you wicked servant, you. He said, I am going to put you and your whole family, which was the common thing to do. They had what's called debtor's prisons, and not only the person, but the whole family would go in. They'd become slaves and, until the debt was paid off. Well, you can imagine that this guy, if, um, if, the, if a talent was 15 years of labor for the average person, he was never going to pay it off. 150,000 years of labor. In contrast, um, in, in contrast to that, um, the guy goes out after being forgiven all this. So verse 28, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Sound familiar? Same thing just happened. 100 denarii, denarii, um, which is just a pocket full of quarters, realistically. One denarii was the equivalent of a day's wage. So he's got 100 days wages versus 150,000 years of wages. That's the difference. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told the master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I cancel all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. So he's going to get tortured now for 150,000 years. Guess what? It just didn't stop. I, I read a, 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 one commentator had this vivid illustration that said it, this, is the, this is the example or the illustration is that 10,000 talents would be like an army of about 8,600 carriers to carry all that he owed. Each carrying a sack of gold or coins that was about 60 pounds in weight. And that would form, now get this, at a distance of one yard apart, a line five miles long. I, I always, when I, when I think of that, 
I, I think of a time when Suzette and I were in uh, Washington, D.C. We got stuck there and we'd gone to the, to the Washington Mall, which is not a shopping mall, but the area between the, the Washington Monument and the Jefferson Memorial. And it's just this big, massive piece of land. It's about a mile long, I guess. And we were there on the, the height of the Cherry Blossom Festival. And it was gorgeous. It was a gorgeous day until you looked out and you realized that, man, this is a sea of people. And it was just like, and we're walking for a mile, shuffling <laughs> to get to the other end. In reality, in normal life, we would have just said, out of here. But we were stuck there for the day, so we said, well, we're here to see things. Later on, I found out that there was a million people at a time in that area. I went, holy cats, that's almost as many people as in the whole state of Montana. And that was in a little section about the size of from here to the corner in Ova Vando. And we're just going, my word, a million people. And it's like, this is why I live in Montana. <laughs> and, and it's just like, so now think about that. So I, so I thought about that as this came in. So here's a, a, here's a 8,600 people walking a yard apart. And they're, they're, this line is a mile or, or five miles long. That's how much gold, okay? So they're all carrying the sack of gold compared to a pocket full of quarters. It's basically what it was. And, and here's, the, here's the, the, the king or the, the master who forgave the servant. And he, and he said, you are forgiven only because he asked for it. And then he went out and right away, he, he should have been even more so forgiving as the master showed him. But instead, to jail you go until you pay this off. So in other words, for the rest of your life, you and your family, and you're going to be tortured. So where does that leave us? Jesus and the other Bible writers seem to consider forgiveness, I'll lightly say, fairly important. Luke 6, 37 and 38 says, Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. For with this measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is definitely implying that the, that the extent that you forgive others is how much God will forgive you. It's a scary thought, I think. It, it sure looks as if God considers forgiveness of others as important as his forgiveness of us. It, it, in the Lord's Prayer, he even says, says when, when, they, when the disciples ask him, hey, would you, would you teach us how to pray? And he teaches them, about forgiveness. And there he tells them, forgive your debtors. And if you forgive your debtors, then the Father will forgive you. So it seems to be conditional. There's, there's a lot of things that we can put in there. It's just no matter what, forgiveness is a pretty serious item in the, in the world of, of Jesus and in Christianity. So to be like our forgiving Father, we need to be forgiving. To help us understand all of that, all we've been forgiven of, I believe that all of God's commands are not to spoil our fun, but because we are, because they are good for us, like telling your kids to eat broccoli or other veggies, because it will help your body, your mind, your sleep, your appearance, your bones, your heart, etc. God commands are like that because following them is better for our spirits than not following them. I, I remember as a as a kid, I used to always. Us kids growing up, we always thought, you know, we, we just aren't very picky, picky eaters because we always eat everything my mother gives us. Until I found out as an adult that my mother hated vegetables. 
And so she never gave us the, the stuff we didn't like, that wouldn't like. And uh, so not only was she a great mom, um, she also taught us to not like a lot of vegetables. <laughs> but fortunately, in her old age, she, uh, she taught us, now. Yeah, it's a good thing you ate them. I made you, I know, but I didn't like them, but I only gave you the good stuff. But um, there's, some, there's some other stuff out there either. Never had um, okra, which I, I just love now. Never had it because my mom didn't like it. Never had broccoli. I didn't have to worry about do I like it or not, which I do like it, because she didn't like it, so she never gave it to us. She gave us peas and corns and string beans. And that was kind of it. So, uh, but... God tells us to be forgiving, not just because it's a good thing to do, but it's, it's just good for us and it allows us to be like the Father. Forgiveness brings freedom. Verse 27 of, of this passage that we just looked at, it says, it says this, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. That's exactly what Jesus does for us when, we, when he forgives us. Forgiveness also brings freedom to us as we forgive other people for things that they have done against us. Before the master freed him from the debt, the servant was terrified. He was going to spend his whole life trying to repay, and he would never be able to do it. But forgiveness of the debt set him free. And in that same way, it sets us free, free to be loved, free to love and to be thankful. I think also forgiveness brings closure for us if, if we're going to look at what does it bring us personally again from this story the servant was able to just walk away from the debt would he forget likely not however he didn't carry on the, the attitude we, we seem to think quite often that we've been forgiven then we will forget but that's not true we are humans with memories forgetting is not the substitute for forgiveness in fact, on the road to forgiveness, we may have to remember all the horrible things that have happened to us, but forgiveness closes the door on them. It says, I will not let the emotional baggage keep me down, and if I do remember, I choose to forgive again. It's exactly what Jesus was saying. It's like when Peter said, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven? And Jesus went, no, it's endless. Just be forgiving constantly all the time, no matter what the case is. Be forgiven. I mean, be forgiving. The, the servant had no way of ever repaying that debt to the master. But the master said, just go, be free. You are forgiven of it. You are free. But, in, but instead, he went out and he said, man, I don't got anything now because I just gave everything I've got back to my master. Now I have nothing. I know that guy that owes me 100 denarii. I am going to go find him. He owes me a few bucks. A denarii, as I said, was, a, was about a day's wage. So he owes him quite a sum of money in a sense. Nothing compared to what he owed, but he thought, you know, if I can go get that money from him, I can at least live for a few days. And so he went, and, and it says that he did, not only did he go and tell him he needed it, but he began to choke him. And then he threw him and his family in jail, obviously had that power to do that but again don't let it take you away from the story is the point is this is that he was forgiven much and he was not willing to forgive even a little bit forgiveness brings 
life. Listen to these verses from Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Kind of, kind of just putting it there that, that this love, which is, uh, that's, that's the culmination of everything, but being compassionate and loving, I mean, and forgiving of other people is what is the key to showing that love. You know, it's, it's pretty easy to, to, as I've said, to become cynical. It's pretty easy to look around at people in our families, in our marriages, in our, in our government, in our society, just everything, to just go, I have, I have had it. I'm done with this. And that's fine if you want to feel that way in certain areas. Don't let it taint who you become. And, and I think that, uh, that for this next year, just uh, if we started off, today you got one day. Today is the first, so you got all day to do this. Be forgiving, be loving. And then just go, you know, that was a good thing to do. I'm going to carry that on for the next 364 days. And, and then even if you mess up, just understand that Jesus is pursuing you still. It's like, you know, Jesus doesn't say, ah, you're done. You know, kick that sheep out. Go get, you know, we're having lamb chops tonight. The, the great thing is that Jesus is not do, does not do that. And this, that, whole, that whole chapter is just talking about so many different things when it comes to being humble and being loving of one another. I don't know how the disciples were after that. I know how I would have been. My, my parents were, were ones who, um, I, I was fortunate that they didn't just beat on me all the time like they probably should have. Um, but, but they did, my, my dad would tell us a lot of stories. And he'd sit there, he was one of those guys that, um, I say, you got, you, he never berated us. I don't ever remember a time really when my dad berated us, but man, there was times when I felt berated because I knew that I was pretty stupid just in the way he'd put his arm around me and just go, listen here. And then it was like, I'm going to listen here because there's something for me to learn. And, and I could just see Jesus kind of doing that with these guys. It's just like, listen here. And then afterwards, the disciples looking at one another. It's like he never did answer the question of which one is the greatest. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just how stupid we are as people sometimes. But, uh, but it goes on that, uh, that Jesus continues to teach them. He tells them more stories, and he teaches them constantly. I love it how they, at the end of, of when, uh, even after, after Peter had denied Jesus, and, and Jesus had risen from the dead, and, and they just thought it was all done. They didn't even know he had risen from the dead, and they're, they're sitting on the, they've gone fishing, and they, they see Jesus up on the, on the shore, and Peter realizes that's Jesus. And, and Peter runs up to Jesus after his, he denied Jesus three times after making this bold proclamation, I will never leave you. These other people might, but I will never leave you. And, and Peter just always is shown as a very rash, outspoken guy. And yet here he denies Jesus. And then when it's all, when you get to the end of the Gospels and, this, and a story comes up and it's like, and Jesus is there and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter goes, you know I love you. 
So then Jesus says, well, then here's what you need to do. Go feed my sheep. And so then they go kind of the eating, cooking the fish, doing what they're doing. And then Jesus says to him again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, come on, Jesus. You know I love you. And so he tells him again, then go feed my sheep. And he does it a third time. Peter, do you love me? And, and, and Peter falls at Jesus' feet, just weeping. Oh, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, then go do the job I gave you to do. So there's great encouragement that, in that for us, I think, because after all these different stories and all this, all this stuff, that uh, all these life experiences that the disciples go through with Jesus, and they've gone through a point where they all deserted him. Maybe Peter was the only one who's, who it points, at, points to his words of denying Christ, but they all deserted Jesus. And then at the end, here these guys come. And Jesus gives them a time of reconciliation. It's like, you know something you have? I know that you, I know that you love me. You've denied me. You've deserted me. Now you, you say that you love me. Now just go do the job I gave you. And that is be fishers of men. Go feed my sheep. Be the leaders because I'm leaving soon. And then we find out later on that these disciples, all but John, were martyred for the sake of Jesus. I mean, these guys got it. And they went on, and, and it's just so great that Jesus' encouragement with them was, was that I haven't given up on you, now go do your job. Uh, one of my favorite books is, uh, I, I just like the title more than anything else, so if you ever don't, don't read the book, just read the title. It's, um, it's a book by a guy named J.D. Greer, and, and the book is, it, it's titled this, it says, um, The Spirit Inside You is Better Than Jesus Beside You. The Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. And it's just a, it's a book on the Holy Spirit. And it just talks about how we have so much more. And so we, we could often say, I wish, and I have said it so many times, I wish I could just sit down and just talk to Jesus. You ever said that? Don't you wish that? And it's like, yeah, and I do. I, I don't know if I want to. And I read stories like this because it's kind of like a thrashing from Jesus. But, it's, but, the real, but realize this, that Jesus told the disciples, hey, when I go, it's going to even be better for you guys because you're going to have the Holy Spirit. And that's what we have as believers and Christians, uh, believers in Jesus Christ. We get the Holy Spirit. So that's why we have the Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. The Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. We have even more so ability than what the disciples had it for the most part. And uh, so let's just, let's just praise God. And in this new year, let's just... Uh, Go on and, and uh, live lives that are loving and humble and forgiving towards others. Let's just close in prayer, and then we're going to have a, a time of communion, which is a culmination of what we just talked about. So, in, in Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word. Thank you for, for Jesus. Thank you for the lessons he taught. And, Lord, I just thank you so much that we have the Holy Spirit, that we can just go on and live with even more power and more uh, more victory than what the disciples had. Lord, thank you for these lessons that we learn. And may we take them to heart and, and put them in practice. And when we fail, may we be forgiving of ourselves as well as you forgive us constantly. That Just the endless debt. You're just constantly forgiving. So we thank you for that. We thank you for this time of remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection. Thank you so much 
than what we have. And uh, just bless this time of remembrance for us. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.